Good morning. I am glad that you are here today. Take your Bible if you would. Did everything just go black? It's just me. I like to see your eyes. Take your Bible if you would and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. I do want to welcome you here. I'm glad that you made a choice to be together with God's people, open the Word of God, love on each other, worship Him. This is a good place to be. I'm grateful to be here today. How many of you men were at the breakfast yesterday? Raise your hands. It was good, wasn't it? I really appreciated it. Um, occasionally somebody will come up to me after I speak up here and they'll say, Have you been reading my mail? It was like you were talking right at me. I was listening to Rich Gardner yesterday and I thought, He singled me out. He's talking directly to me. Um, it was really good. Let me just give you one thing that I walked away with. Actually, I had a, I had some of those little little index cards, and I, I had two of them, and I filled both sides with notes because I'm going to steal some of his stuff um, and preach it and pretend like it's mine because it was so good. Um, he talked about um, being a person of faith. Not just doing, not just only the one act of faith of coming to Christ, you'll be saved by grace through faith. Remember that last week? Uh, Not just one event of faith, but living a life of faith, that that's what God wants, that God wants us to live constantly trusting God all the time. Not just once, but again and again and again, every day, that's what he wants. He wants that of us today. He wants it, we'll want it tomorrow. Are you with me? So you know that this is what God wants. And I, and I was thinking, like you were thinking, yeah, of course. And then he began talking about um, our tendency is, as human beings, is to walk not by faith, but to walk by sight. Because we're more comfortable with sight. When you see something and you know what's going to happen, and it, then you, you're more comfortable. And then he began talking about, he really began meddling then. He started talking about our comfort zone. And how each of us have a comfort zone, that there's a sort of area around us in which we are comfortable because we know what's going to happen and we can see it, right? And we don't step out of that comfort zone very much. And if that begins to press upon us, we try to protect our comfort zone. And then he, began, he, then he said, he said, you know what that is? Is that's actually living by sight, not by faith. And I thought, oh... And then he began talking about every t- single time, or not, so many times, what God wants us to do is he wants us to step out of our comfort zone and we say, well, this is awkward. Or I don't know how people are going to respond. Or I don't know whether this is going to be successful or not. Or I don't know what's going to happen. Or, And I thought to myself, that's, boy, that's the struggle of life. That what God wants us to do is to trust him. But what's going to have to happen is that we're going to have to give up some of our comfort zone and step out beyond that. Are you following what I'm saying? It was really good. And he said a lot of other things, too, about that whole thing of living a life of faith. I just, it was solid. Brothers, when we ask you to come to something like that, I really want you to come because God will use it in your life. I know he did in mine. And then I realized that uh, last week we didn't say anything about the women's night in prayer, which was awesome. How many ladies came? I understand there was... 200 or 250 women here praying all night that everything from middle school students to ladies in their 80s and it was wonderful I hear so you know that just I just want you to know as one of the elders and the pastors around here that that so blesses us and we have confidence um, in the Lord 
when so many of our people are praying, particularly our women are praying. So anyway, we, we just wanted to say, that was good. God bless you. And last week, Tom Stevens, one of our elders, came up and taught the Word of God. That was, it was good. It was actually amazing. Um, and it was sweet. I, I just love the idea that our elders can open the Word of God with you. I love the fact that Tom loved on you and told you how much you are loved by him and by our elders. His love for God and love for the church and love for the Word of God uh, was so obvious to me. And, and then I just, I do want to say one confession to you, though that Matt and I found it very difficult to yield up Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 to Tom. But we sacrificed, and we did, and he did a, he did a good job. So it's, it's a key portion of the Word of God, and that's where we left off. So if you have your Bible open, um, that's where we left off. And so we'll pick it up, beginning with verse 11. This next section between Ephesians 2, verse 11, and down through the end of the chapter, verse 22, is one section, and we're going to divide it up because there's so much here. Now, let me advise you of what's going to happen this morning, or what could happen, if you're willing. When you become a Christian, if you're like me, one of the primary things that you know is that God forgave your sin, and you sort of don't know much else beyond that. It's like what Tom talked about, we're saved from hell, and we're not sure of much else. And then when you walk with Christ over a period of time, what God does is he says, not only are you forgiven, but this is true also for you. And oh, by the way, this is true also, and this, and this, and this. Do you understand what I'm saying? Over a period of time, it's like light bulbs go off in your mind. You say, not only did he forgive my sin, but he did Like this amazing thing he brought me in Christ. I mean, who knew that? Did you know that when you first became a Christian, that you would be placed in his son, Jesus Christ? Did you know when you first became a Christian that the Holy Spirit would come and live within you? Did you know when you first became a Christian that God would use you probably more in your area of weakness than in your areas of strength? Did you know... Did you know that you were part of the kingdom of heaven? Did you know that that there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth? Did you know that he actually is transforming you on the inside? Did you know that he's bringing a people together? Did Did you know that we're learning these things? So I want to say to you this morning, I believe what will happen is that God will give you another truth for you to understand about the greatness of what God has done. And this might be new for you, which in a sense you'll say, well, of course, of course. This is true. And this is the reason why we don't do this over here. So I'm hoping that you will listen today and that you will apply the mind that God has given to you and that you'll listen closely and that you will look deeply into the Word of God and hear what it is that God is saying to us. Because God has this magnificent plan that is for the forgiveness of sin, but it is so much more. He has a plan that none of us would have ever thought of. No one would have ever come up with this on a human level. That this is about the glory of God. That God brings glory to himself by bringing a people like us to himself. To experience his glory now and then forever and ever. Which is amazing. It is truly grace. So follow along in your note sheet, if you would. The first thing I put in your note sheet is that we live in a world full of divisions and barriers. A world of divisions and barriers. I want you to just think with me for a moment about how many ways that we separate from each other. 
That was true way back then. It's always been true in the world because this is, this is how the flesh works and this is how the world works and this is what the devil is trying to accomplish. You remember Matt talking a couple of weeks ago about these enemies of the world and the flesh and the devil and how they are working together to try to prevent what it is that God wants to accomplish in our life, to try to hold us back from the kind of life that God wants us to live and to, to rob God of his glory in this world. He will not be able to do it forever, but he's trying to do it now. So what God has done then is he, has, he has done some amazing things. But we, as people, as human beings, we have this problem of divisions and barriers. Now think about it. If you were to sit down with a piece of paper and just write down how many things there are that just separate us, that keep us sort of away from each other, or maybe look down upon each other. Some people are rich and some people are poor. In those days, some people were slaves and some people were free. Of course, there's always the young and the old and the separation between them. And there's a separation between men and women. There's boss and employee. There's the talented people in the world and then there's sort of the average people. There's the beautiful people and then the sort of ordinary people. There's the influential people, the powerful people, and then there's the sort of unimportant people, the weak people of the world. There are many things that separate people. Religion separates us. The world we live in has always been like this, that some people kill other people in the name of God. The whole racial thing. People have different colored skin, and so some people are looked down on because of the color of their skin or their background. Some people are even hated because they're, quote, different. Then there's the whole cultural thing. That we're, we, all, we have so many different cultures. And there's language, right? And then there's lifestyle. Now we have upper class, middle class, and lower class. We define people according to these things. Then, of course, we have all of our own opinions about things. We have issues and we have politics. There's liberals and there's conservatives, Republicans and Democrats. And then we have rights, of course. We're always, I mean, we have different rights. People have, feel like they have different rights. We have special interest groups to protect our rights. Um, then, of course, there are right doctrine, which would be mine. And there would be not-so-right doctrine, which might be yours, right? Or, or opinions or priorities, all of which would probably be mine, and, and I would tend to look down on somebody who doesn't have the same priorities I have. You know anybody like that? Or somebody who doesn't see things like that? Different practices, different motives. Here's the question. Is the gospel of Jesus Christ powerful enough to overcome every division and barrier. Hmm. Really? Well, what is the problem then? What's what's going on? What's out there in the world, of course, but even among the church, even those who call themselves Christians, we do the same thing. We label people, and these are Baptists. Then there's, of course, the Catholics, and then there's the Episcopalians and the Presbyterians. And then we attach other words to the word Christian. There are Bible-believing Christians, and evangelical Christians, and spirit-filled Christians, and conservative Christians, and liberal Christians, and it goes on and on, right? And we're not so sure about those people, because they don't hold the same opinion that I do, or the same conviction, or they do stuff different, or they look different, or they act different, or they speak different, or they're far away. What Paul is going to do now, 
after saying, we are saved by grace through faith, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. And that we are created as God's workmanship, his masterpiece. In Tom's word, his poem, this great thing that God is doing. And what God is doing, this incredible plan of God, is that God sent his son to break down the divisions and the barriers, to actually eliminate them in Christ. And that is what our text is about. And what Paul does is he reaches out into the world and he finds the, perhaps what would be the most powerful barrier and division that existed in the world at those time, at that time. It was the division between Jew and Gentile. The world was divided into two parts in those days. It was Jew and Gentile. All the Jews were only Jews and all, none of the Gentiles were Jews and none of the Jews were Gentiles. This was, this was a great separation and there was a great racial prejudice between the two. And the Jews would look at the Gentiles and they would say, these people are idolaters. They worship many gods or they don't, and they don't know the one true Jehovah. They don't know, understand any of what God has revealed to us. These are pagans. These are lawless people. They practice all kinds of immorality, you know, and Jews, even some of the strongest Jewish leaders would call the Gentiles dogs. Now, if you want to alienate somebody, just call them a dog, you know. Or, and, and the Jews would say, if I even walk into a Gentile's home, I'll be unclean and un- unable to go into the temple. Which the law never said, by the way, but that's what they said. And, th- and then they told the Gentiles that, which didn't win them a lot of friends. You know? And so you can imagine being a Gentile, and, you know, and, and then there's this Jew who you know, won't even come into your home or touch your hand because he will be, quote, unclean, and he thinks of you as a dog, and, and you tend to return the favor... Right, And there was this great alienation, this rejection of, gen, uh, of Jews because they were so fanatical. And they followed this Old Testament law that was, you know, they rejected everything that was not Jewish and they worshipped the only one God. They say, we are the ones that have the truth, nobody else does. You ever heard anything like that? I mean, gee. Well, then Jesus comes. Jesus appears in the scene and sometimes he goes after Gentiles which just stunned the Jews and the followers. They just, you know, you don't do this. You don't talk to a Samaritan woman. Remember Tom talking last week? You don't talk to a woman like that. And you don't go to a place, you know, across the border where the Gentiles live and it's unclean people. You don't talk to them. You don't touch them. You don't even, you don't fellowship with them at all. And then Jesus comes and he dies for the sin of the world and we're going to discover so much more than only sin. Then he said, Now I want you to go into the whole world, to the remotest part. I want you to go after those people who are Gentiles. And I want you to bring them to me and make them disciples. And the Jewish Christians went, hmm, really? And when you read the story, when you read the Gospels, and then you move on into the book of Acts, you discover that the Jews, you know, when Jesus had ascended into heaven, and, you know, and he's gone from the scene, so to speak, and the Christian church there is in Jerusalem, and they're almost all Jews, they just were not at all interested in bringing Gentiles into it. In fact, they didn't, they didn't go anywhere. Remember, Jesus said, you, what you got to do is you got to be my witnesses in, remember, Jerusalem, Judea, and oh, Samaria. And even to the ends of the earth. And they're saying, no way, Jerusalem's it, we're home. And Jesus came for us. He's is Jewish Messiah, after all. So what did God do? You read the book of Acts, and one of the things you discover is pretty quickly God put his foot right in the, in the behind of these Jewish Christians. 
And he pushed them out of Jerusalem because of persecution. They, where did they go? They went to Samaria. In Acts chapter 8, Philip goes to Samaria and a great revival happens. People turn to Christ. And then the Holy Spirit sends, you know, Philip to a guy who they call an Ethiopian who had really dark skin and was very different from the Jews. And then God calls this guy that he, that he calls, he's going to be an apostle to the Gentiles. From His name was Saul of Tarsus. And then the church begins to expand. And so many Gentiles begin, begin coming to Christ. And Paul begins going out and planting churches and preaching the gospel at places like Ephesus. And people flock to Jesus because they've never heard anything like this kind of good news. And people are stunned. And then the church in Jerusalem back at home said, wait a minute, wait, 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 time out here. You know, those unclean Gentiles cannot be followers of Jesus Christ unless they become Jews first. What they must do is they must submit to circumcision And they've got to follow the law, you know, and then then they can become followers of the Jewish Messiah. How would you respond to that? Well, you keep reading in the book of Acts and the church in Jerusalem gets together in Acts 15 and they say, "Uh uh-uh. No. God's will is that both Jew and Gentile are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, not of yourselves It's the gift of God. So the Jews believe in a Jewish Messiah, Christ. That's what Messiah means. And the Gentiles believe in the Christ who who is promised to the Jewish people who is now our Lord and Savior. But there is a great barrier between these two Jewish Gentiles. And it continues right on through the book of Acts, this animosity, this division, this barrier. Okay, all that's introduction. Now, in your notes then. Let's go then to look at verse 11, where Paul now says, remember who you were. Now remember, he's talking to the Ephesians, the Ephesian believers, the followers of Jesus Christ, almost all of whom were Gentiles. Not all of, there were, there were Jews among them, but most of them were Gentiles. And so when he writes Ephesians, he's writing to believers. This is a letter to Christians, by the way. So if you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, some of this is going to be... It may not, it just may not click with you because this is primarily written to those who are followers of Jesus Christ and primarily they are Gentile followers of Jesus Christ. So the first thing Paul does here, and again, stick with me here, you're going to have to focus. He's, he's going to say, therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles, called Gentiles, by birth and called uncircumcised by those who are, call themselves the circumcision, that is done in the body by the hands of men, this is one of those verses you go, what? So just, it's basically this. The Jews called themselves the circumcised. And they regarded as a, as a, it was the covenant sign, the physical mark in the physical body of the covenant that God had made with the Jewish people. They were very proud. In fact, they trusted in it. They trusted in circumcision and the law. That some of them even believed they were saved because they were circumcised and they tried to follow the law. And by the way, the Bible never says that. It, also, it always says that the purpose of the law was to teach us that we're sinners. It does that, right? As soon as it says 55 miles an hour, what does it tell you? Yeah, you sinner. So, right? So that's what the law does. So anyway, these are, these are the circumcision. The Jews were proud of this. And all the Gentiles, the Jews regarded all the Gentiles as the uncircumcision. This was a derogatory term, very similar to dogs. And so Paul is saying, now remember who you were. He's saying, you were the uncircumcision. 
This, you, you, it's true that you were the label. These, you Gentiles were labeled by the Jews and you, you didn't have the circumcision, the sign of the covenant, and you didn't obey the law. This is who you were. Now go on, verse 12. Then he says, remember your need. This has implications. If you didn't know anything about circumcision, you didn't have the law, it has implications for you because you're not part of God's chosen people. There are disadvantages to being a Gentile. There are great advantages of being a Jew. If you see the story of God through Old Covenant into New Covenant, if you see the promised Messiah, and if you're Jewish and you welcome him as your Messiah, there's great advantages in that. So Paul is writing to the Gentiles and saying, look, there are five things that you have, you didn't have. Look at what they are. Remember that at that time, first one is you are separate from Christ. You didn't know anything about Christ. If Paul had never come to Ephesus... You would have never known what it meant to, to learn about Christ. The word Christ means Messiah, the Jewish Messiah. You are separate from Christ. You are excluded from citizenship in Israel. That is, you were not part of the chosen people of God, so you didn't have any of the blessings of being a Jew and hearing the promises of God and knowing you know, what God had done. You, what, what were you? You were idol worshippers, Right? And in those days, the Roman and Greek gods that the Ephesians would have known and worshipped were gods not to be loved. They were gods to be feared and hated and manipulated. That the gods of Rome and Greece had all the same problems that humans have and even more. You study them and you'll find the flaws of these false gods. Paul said you were excluded from the citizenship of Israel. You didn't even know what it meant to be a Jew. And then he says, then you were, you were foreigners to the covenants of the promise. The covenants were the, the, the contracts that God made with the Jewish people. And, and Paul is saying, you Gentiles, you, you are foreign to that. You, you didn't know any about, you didn't know what God promised Abraham, for example, that Abraham, I will bless you, Jehovah said, and I will make you a blessing to the nations. The Gentiles didn't know anything about these covenants, these promises, these blessings, the temple, the sacrifices, all the incredible things that God had given to the Jewish people that brought them to an understanding of a holy Jehovah and to help them to understand the one true God, worship and sacrifices and laws and, and their culture and the law and the prophets and, and all the promises and the special protection of the Jewish people as the covenant people of God, all those blessings Paul is saying, you Gentiles missed out. This was part of your need. And then he says, the fourth and fifth thing, without hope and without God in the world. Hopeless and godless. If you have no God, if you're without God, you are hopeless. And most of the Ephesians would have understood this. They would have said, absolutely. If we reject the gods of Greece and Rome, we're, we're nothing. We look into space and there's just a cosmic loneliness that we experience. The Greeks would look back to the golden age of Greece. The Romans would look forward to the power of Rome. They would put their trust in the political system. How would you like to have your faith and hope in the political system? You see, without God... It becomes hopeless. Now I have to ask you, are you without God and without hope? What is your hope? What do you place your hope in? Do you have hope? Really? 
And what is it? And why? And Paul's saying, oh, you, did, you had so little. You had great need. And the Gentiles are listening to this as that letter is read, and they're thinking, oh, yes, this is, this is who we were and, and our great need. But notice the next words, verse 13, but now, but now. It's like what Tom talked about last week, you know, that we are dead in our trespasses and sins, but God, now, now we are saved by grace, but God has intervened. You were dead, now you are alive, Ephesians has taught us. Now Paul is saying, you once were far away, but now you have been brought near. You see the, the picture of that? Far, you once were far away, and now you've been brought near. Now in Christ you have been brought near through his blood. It's through the blood of Christ that people are brought near. I don't know if you mark in your Bible, but verse 13 is the key verse of this section. And when I see a key verse, I usually put a little line around it or a mark next to it because it draws my attention in the Word of God that this is the key truth. And verse 13, I think, for this section of verse 11 to 22 is the key verse. I want you to ponder this with me. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through or by the blood of Christ. God calls people near or far away. Near or far away. What are you? Are you near? Are you far away? Paul says, now in Christ Jesus. That's his famous term, in Christ, in Christ Jesus, in the Lord, in the beloved. That's his term for a real Christian. Paul never used the labels that we used for a believer. He said a real Christian is someone who is in Christ This is his definitive statement of what a Christian is. Someone who is in Christ. We ought to adopt it. You ought to think of yourself not primarily as this kind of a Christian or that kind of a Christian, but someone who is in Christ. It changes everything when we begin to see ourselves. All of our blessings are found in Christ. Every good gift that God has ever given to us is found in Christ. This is God's way of blessing us and touching us and changing us. And it happens through the blood of Christ. Let's do something a little different. Let's take communion now. Let me excuse the ushers. Go ahead, if you would. And prepare to bring us the bread and the cup. A little same communion, same purpose, different time. No soft music. You see on the wall says, the great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. Interesting. Love God with all and love one another. I want to ask you now to love God with your mind. I want to ask you to put your Bible aside and your note sheet aside just for a moment. And I want you to, we're going to leave this, this verse up here because it is the key and this is, this is something, do you meditate on the Word of God? Do you open your Bible and you look at a verse and you think, whoa. And do you ponder it and do you ask God to tell you more about it? Please tell me you do. If you don't, start. You could start here. Just ponder this verse. We're going to take the Lord's Supper together. But you ponder together. They're going to come and pass out to you. Take a piece of bread and a cup and hold it. And whenever you're ready... 
Whenever your faith is stirred up a little bit, whenever you have one more time chosen to believe in Christ, then go ahead and eat the bread and drink the cup on your own whenever you're ready. But ponder this. Now in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Thank you, brother. Think about yourself. Were you ever far away? And are you now brought near? Several times Paul in these verses has said, remember, remember, remember. Remember what God has done. Remember how far away you were? Some of you might not be able to remember. You might say, I was a Christian since the time I was a baby. I was raised in church, so I don't remember being far away. Others of you would know. You would say, oh man, there was a time when I was far away. So this is very clear. In fact, you don't want to spend too much time remembering But the Bible does say to remember. What happens if you don't remember what God has done for you? What happens to you? Don't you find yourself not able to be as grateful if you can't remember what it is that God did for you? Sometimes we even find it difficult to worship him or to trust him if we forget, if we forget. He says remember. Remember because it will help. It will humble you. It will tell you again about the grace of God. It'll draw you to worship one more time. It'll bring you to your knees again. It'll tell you, this is why you serve him. But Jesus said when the Lord, when he instituted what we call the Lord's Supper, he didn't say just to remember what you were. He said, do this in remembrance of me. So I ask you to do that now. Remember? What it is that God has done that he took you who were far away and brought you near. And then I want you to remember him. What happens if we don't remember him? What happens if you take the Lord's Supper on a Sunday here and you don't remember Jesus? You just do it because somebody said to take this bread and eat this little piece of bread and drink this cup. And it's a little ritual we do around here. And you don't remember Jesus at all. What happens? Why remember me? Why did he say that? Because what he wants you to do is he wants you to love him. He wants you to know you have a relationship with him. He wants you to know that he has brought you to himself. He wants you to know that he has brought you to himself and us together in himself. This is about relationship. It's about love. It's about gratitude. It's about thinking that I have a Savior who loved me. Do you believe this? Whenever you want, eat the bread and drink the cup. We have been saved by grace through faith. Not of yourselves, it's a gift, a gift of God that no one should boast. A little piece of bread and a little cup. It's so very individual, isn't it? They passed the trays and you took one of the little pieces of bread and you took one of the little cups. When Jesus first did this, 
He didn't pass a tray of little white pieces of bread. Remember what he did? He took one loaf, and he blessed it, and he broke it. And then he gave a piece to each of them. And when the cup was served, there was one cup. And he said, drink from it, all of you. And it passed around. Well, we don't do that because of germs. Right? But it was one bread, one loaf, and one cup. Think about it. Hmm. Nothing wrong with the way we did it. It's just so individual. So you just took one more time the Lord's Supper. Look around. There's people here. Very different people. You might have come with somebody very different from you. People have different colored skins. People have different amount of money. Some people are older. Some people are younger. Not everybody believes exactly like you do. Not everybody has the same opinions. Not everybody is the same political persuasion. Not everybody is upper middle class. Not everybody is almost anything. Here we are. We're very different people. And then when you think about around the world, God's people have done this in so many different forms. Some places they actually do have one piece of bread and one cup and they don't care about the germs. They probably get a lot of colds. Who knows? And they take all kinds of different things to remember Jesus Christ, his body and his blood. And they do it in different ways. And they do it in great cathedrals and they do it outside under under trees. and, And you know what? They are one with us. And we are one with each other. Why? Because what God has done is he has reached out and he's taken you and he's taken me and he's brought us together in Christ. And by doing that, he has destroyed the barriers. So pick up your Bible again and let's move on. Verse 14, Jesus destroyed the barriers and became our peace He destroyed the barriers and became our peace. For he himself is our peace. When you see the word peace, think Hebrew. Don't think absence of war. That's Greek. Think wholeness, shalom. Think wellness. Think relationship. Think love. Think intimacy. Think things are good with that other person. We are at peace. It's not absence of war. It's wholeness. He himself. Anytime you see the words he himself, you know that this is Paul's attempt. If he, In these days, he would probably put it in a bigger font and bold it and underline it. But he didn't, they didn't have any of those things in those days, and so they repeated things. So he himself is like, this is Jesus. Do you get this? Jesus is our peace. He himself is our peace. Who has made the two. What are the two? Jew and Gentile. Who's made the two? One. He's made the two groups into one, and he has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. Here's where many of us go, oh, that's too complex, I don't even want to. So, don't do that, right? Go with me here. He himself is our peace, peace with God, peace with one another. God 
sent his son so that we would be at peace with him. We would have peace with God and the peace of God and we have peace with each other because he's bringing the two into one. He's taking two people who were divided. Now Paul is returning to the whole problem, this whole division of separation between Jew and Gentile. And he's lifting it up as an example of the kind of barriers and hostilities and divisions that God has abolished in his son. So think with me about what it is What is the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility? What is that? He goes on and talks about the law. The law is the thing that separated people. The Gentiles would look at the Jewish law and say, you don't even keep your own law. We don't want to be shackled with the law like that. You know, that law is a binding, you know, heavy obligation that you can't even follow. We don't, you know, we don't want to have anything to do with that. The Jews, on the other hand, would say, you Gentiles are lawless. You're, peop- you're people who don't even follow the law of God. You're pagans and, you know, you cannot please God unless you obey the law. And it was the law that became this barrier, this separation between Jew and Gentile. Let me show you a couple of photographs of a model of the temple. I took this off the web. There was a, there's a guy that lives in the Midwest and he's a farmer. He spent 30 years building this. It's just incredible. Just in, it's probably one of the most accurate depictions of the temple that I, that I have ever seen. You can find it online. Send me a note if you want me. I'll try to trace it down and send you the link if you want. Um, go back to the first one for just a moment, if you would. So here's the here's the temple. The big white part is the cube, the Holy of Holies, in which originally the Ark of the Covenant would have resided, and that was the place where the high priest once a year would go in to offer the sacrifice of blood for the sin of the people. Once a year, only the priest would get that far. That was the place where the Shekinah glory resided. And that was, if you will, where God is. And only the priest, once a year, could go into his presence very carefully and humbly. Outside of that white cubicle, that marble white, would be the court of the priests, where the priests could go to offer sacrifices and do all of the things that the law required through the sacrifices and through the washings. Outside of that barrier is the court of the men, where the men of the, of Israel could go. And outside of the bigger barrier around was the court of the women, where the women could come. And so there was a series of barriers from the presence of God. Only the high priest, then only the priest, then only the men, then only the women. Now go to the next slide. Now you, now you can see on the lower left, there is a little fence. A balustrade, if you will. It's only about four and a half feet wide, and it circled the whole temple. It was called the barrier. Interesting. Josephus says around that fence, that balustrade, if you will, there were 13 stone tablets, and they were inscribed with these words. They've actually, archaeologists actually found two of these, so they know that this is true. The, 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 the stone was inscribed, it says, No foreigner, read Gentile, No foreigner is to enter within the forecourt and balustrade around the sanctuary. Whoever is caught will have himself to blame for his subsequent death. If you were a Gentile and you tried to go, if you went over that little fence and they knew it, they would find you, drag you out and stone you to death. By the way, this is not in the law. This is what the Jews instituted, a barrier. What was the desire of God in the Old Testament? 
The desire of God was that the Jewish people would be a beacon to the whole world and that Gentiles would flock to the temple to learn how to worship God, that they would learn about Jehovah from the Jewish people. They were to be a witness to the world. Does this sound familiar to you? They were to, they were to go everywhere. They were to be missionary, and some were. But then when they came to the temple, the Gentiles would enter into the temple court and they would see that fence and we can go no further than this, the barrier. And the, Gentiles, the Jews looked at that and said, that's dead because you're lawless, you're without the law. So for the Gentiles then, for the Jews it became, it's all about the law. You don't obey the law and God is now saying only the people who obey the law can go this far. But these, this verse that we've been looking at has said that Christ destroyed the barriers. How did he do that? He fulfilled the law. He established what he called a new covenant in his blood, which supersedes the old covenant of the law. And he, in doing that, listen to this, he created a new humanity. Hmm. Back again then. We see that Jesus created one new humanity. Your Bible say, some Bible say, one new man. It's humanity. It's not about maleness. It's about a humanity. He created, his purpose was to create in himself, you see the word again, in Christ, in himself, one new humanity out of the two, out of both Jew and Gentile. He has created one new humanity, a new race, if you will, a new people. That is neither primarily Jew nor Gentile. There certainly are Jew and Gentile, but they're not primarily Jew, Jew and Gentile. They are primarily in Christ. And so, this barrier has been destroyed. And in this one body, what's the one body? It's his body. It's his body when he was crucified. And so what we discover now is that when Jesus was crucified, not only was my sin placed in him, but the barriers and the divisions and the things that separate people were also borne by him and paid for when he died. He destroyed the barriers because the barriers and the hostility and the divisions are results of flesh. It's, a, it's all about looking down on people and separating from people. And what God has done is he's reconciled people together in one body, the body of Jesus Christ. And he did it through the cross. And now we discover what God has done is he's created a new man. And within him is everyone who has placed their faith in Christ. So what God has done is he's reached down and he's taken Jew. And he's reached down and he's taken Gentile. He's reached down and he's taken you. And he's reached down and taken me. And he's brought us all together and placed us in his son, Jesus. And if he did that... What does that say to us about the things that separate us? Are we truly one new humanity? Is this true? Has God really done this? Has God acted in his son to break down the barriers? Haven't you ever, uh, whenever these barriers come up, whenever these divisions, these prejudices, when you find yourself looking down on someone, haven't you just sensed within yourself, this is wrong? Haven't you always sensed that this whole racial prejudice thing to look down on somebody because of the color of their skin or because of their economic background or because of their education or for whatever reason that this is there's something fundamentally flawed here? What is it? What's flawed? 
The thing that's flawed is that God has brought you in Christ and destroyed those barriers. And now what our challenge is to live like it. Just like everything else that God has done. He said, this is done for you. Now live like it. Some of these barriers are silly kind of things. I grew up in Eugene when I was young. And we looked down on Springfield. It was on the other side of the freeway. Then my family moved to Springfield. This is a problem for me. I met Carolyn, and Carolyn is from Cottage Grove. We looked down at Cottage Grove. <laughs> Springfield did. I mean, they were Grovers, right? <laughs> Everybody does this, right? Then we discovered that the Grovers looked down on... Who do they look down on? Drain, yeah, Drain. They looked down on people from Drain and maybe Cresswell. And I don't know who anybody from Drain would look down on, but. But you know how, how typical this is? How normal, right? Do we do, do you do this? You think those people are different from me. I mean, they're, they act different. They have different ideas. They have different priorities. They, I mean, they don't believe like I do. They, they don't have the same doctrine that I do and they don't have the same, right? And must not be right if it's not my doctrine. And God has created one new new humanity. He's brought us together. One new society, if you will. A classless community of people. And that is why Paul writes things like this in Galatians. Galatians 6.15 Neither circumcision Put this up if you would. Neither cir- circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. This is a Pharisee writing this. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. And there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. Really? Really? Are we one with them? Those other Christians down the street who don't do stuff like we do? Or these other people who say they're followers of Jesus Christ, but they don't believe exactly like... And they have some strange ideas, those people. Are we really one with those people when you travel around the world and you get together with other followers of Jesus Christ and they, boy, they worship, oh man, you know, and they do things and they practice things and they look so different and they speak different languages and are we one with them? And when somebody walks through these doors and says, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, are we one with them? And are they welcome here? And are the barriers really destroyed? Well, what about the people who have really blown it? These people are like, you know, that person was in prison. Oh. I mean, they've really failed in their life. What about that? Or what about somebody who is famous or wealthy? Are we one with them? And what does, what does this mean? Go to a parent sometime who has several children and ask them this. Which child do you love the most? They will not be happy with that question. And the reason they'll, you know, I mean, you know the answer to it, right? Because we love them all. And we, and we, we want to love them all the same. So let me ask you. What does mom and dad want to do? Have you ever noticed that mom and dad wants their children to love each other? 
which is a struggle sometimes. We raise three boys, so we know. But we want that. We want them to love each other. Why? Because we belong to one family. And so, of course, we love each other. We must love each other. We must. My friends, this is the thing that eradicates the divisions. God has acted not just to forgive your sin. He has acted to bring you in Christ and to bring everybody else who places their faith in Christ and to make us one. Without barrier, without division, without name-calling, without prejudice. Is it true? Where's the story going? Read the last couple chapters lately in the book? He's apparently going to bring us all together in one place called a new heavens and a new earth. And there will be no prejudice there, no rejection, no name-calling. We will just all be going, whoa, I'm so glad to be here. Oh, and you're here too. Wow. So what are we going to do to live like it? What are we going to do to live like we are one new humanity? What will we do? A couple more things we need to do. We ought to just worship God a little bit for this. And then we're going to pray for our high school students who are on their way to Mexico. Why in the world would you ever send your young people to Mexico? They're not going to be laying on the beach in Cabo. Why would you do that? Because apparently God cares. Let's pray. Father, we know not just apparently you care, but oh, you care. And we're so grateful for your grace in our lives. We know that we did nothing to deserve your grace. But we're grateful. And we worship. We're going to sing a song, and we've got, oh, at least 10,000 reasons to praise you. Will you help us now to enter in this, into this with our whole heart and worship you in spirit and in truth? And then help us to pray for our young people as they go out to witness for Jesus in Mexico. And help us, will you help us this week to know what this means, that the barriers are destroyed? In Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.